0: Listeners, start your engines. Franchise Detours episode 65. Rob here. On this episode, we're leaping into... The future, we're j- jumping into 2023, Checks and notes, 2023, the distant future of 2023, okay, um, and also 1973, I guess at the same time, uh, with X-Men Days of Future Past from 2014. This episode, we're joined by film critic Rosa Parra, and what an interesting one this is. The, the first class was a reboot that kind of became a prequel, and Days of Future Past is the film that essentially makes the X-Men movie franchise a shared universe of sorts. So lots to get into with this one, so definitely stick around for that. As always, you can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. Go ahead and give us a rating and review wherever you're listening to this episode. For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about X-Men. Days of future past.
1: I had a glimpse into the past. You're going to have to do for me what I once did for you. You'll need me as well. Side by side to end this war before it ever begins. So, I wake up in my younger body and then what? Find me, convince me of all of this. It's good to take the two of us. And where do I find you? A different path, a darker path. Logan, I was a very different man. Patience with me. Patience is my strongest suit.
0: Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. On this episode, we're moving along in our X-Men mega series, ten X-Men movies on the 23rd anniversary of the original film, uh, and this is a this is a big one. This is a pivotal chapter in the mutant saga, I would say. So. Very excited to get into 2014's Days of Future Past. And I'm honored to welcome to the show, Rosa Parra. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, we haven't talked since
0: the, well, now it's called Close Watch, but used to be the Crooked Table podcast. We haven't talked since it was the Crooked Table podcast. And we talked about the Salt of the Earth. And that's a very different movie. So I'm so glad we're finally able to get you back on here. Tell people a little bit about who you are and everything you have going on in the world.
1: Yes. So I am a freelance film critic uh, where I am currently for the most part, writing film reviews and, and film criticism over for the Daily Cella as well as Idol, which is in their own league. And yeah, I've been doing this for a couple of years. I've been just having, Man, it's been a journey. It has been a while since I last spoke to you guys. <laughs> and I, I I concur, you know, both films, completely different end of the spectrums. And I think that's what's beautiful about cinema, right? That you yeah. can talk about a variety of topics, regardless of the genre, and yet still find some form of meaning. And it still has an impact um, on you as a person, but also on cinema as well. So.
0: I think the cool thing is that we're we have sort of a microcosm of that with the whole Barbenheimer thing this summer.
1: Exactly. Everybody's like
0: two completely different movies, both doing very well at the box office, both doing very well with critics. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. there's space for everyone.
1: Exactly. No, I I just walked. I mean, I just came back from a screening and the amount of pink that I saw coming in and out of that movie <laughs> yes. theater is insane. It's like literally blinding. So yeah, yeah, I can't believe how this phenomenon actually just took off. It's something that started as a, I don't know. Uh, this is how I'm interpreting it. It started as a clash sort of speak like, Oh yeah. What are you going to see first? Barbie or Oppenheimer? And somehow evolved into a, like a, a, a coexisting or which one are you watching first? We're watching exactly. both of them, but which one? Yeah. I, and so now it's more of a collaboration kind of thingy rather than competition. And you know what? Interesting to see how it's evolved and now how it's, it, man, that box office, I don't think I've ever seen it that active <laughs> in yeah. such a long time since pre-pandemic times.
0: It's true. And it's also, I think what's cool about the Barbie phenomenon specifically is that it's it's proving, again, that IP doesn't have to mean like yes. subpar entertainment, doesn't have to be dumbed down. Like that was what really blew me away about that movie is that they could have easily just made like a very like surface level superficial take on Barbie mm-hmm. and it would have been successful enough. But the fact that Greta Gerwig actually made a movie that has something to say right, and that it's doing what it's doing. I, I, you know, I think in this industry, a lot of times you have to sort of end up on, well, are you, you know, defending the art form of cinema or like the big blockbuster IP s- sequel spinoffs and all that other stuff much of which, you know, the X-Men has kind of encompasses. Uh, and I, and I love that when one sort of earns the respect of the other, uh, of the other camp, I guess, if that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, this is not going to be a Barbie review, but, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, you but it's, a,
0: it's in the, it's in the air. Like you're saying, <gasps> like it's been out for at least a couple of weeks as of this recording. And it's yeah. like, I, yeah, it's constantly pink in and out of the theater.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And no, I agree. I think what Gerwig did with this movie is just different. Um, I was expecting to go into a movie and see just the movie about Barbie, kind of like the yep. animated ones that <laughs> they just come out straight to DVD or something right. and see that. But no, it's, man, it, 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 it's, it's very complex and has a lot to say. So, and it's speaking obviously to what I say. It's half of the population, right? Women who have grown up with, with this, uh, toy or with the, with, with the Barbie doll and whether you are, um, how do you call it? A movie fan or not. The fact that now everything you see around, whether it's pink dude, I was walking through the mall and there's like Barbie shoes and there's Barbie <laughs> everywhere yeah. like at a band store. There's shoes and this and that and purses and everything. And it's, man, it's just, Again, a phenomenon and an event that I I don't think any of us saw this coming. Man, we knew no. it was going to be a strong summer from the movies, the superhero movies, but to see these two movies be the ones that are holding the helm at, at the box office and and just doing their thing, it's quite that, uh, like damn mind boggling.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I think you're seeing movies like Barbie really outperform some of the superhero movies too. That's been, that's the other thing that's interesting looking at the X-Men films Mm -hmm. through 2023 lens where the flash didn't do so great. Shazam didn't do so great. Thor, I don't think did that great or at least underperformed. I think guardians is the only one in the last year or so black Panther, I think did pretty well, Mm -hmm. but like the only, those two are like the only ones that are really standing out. What do you where do you think we are with superhero cinema? I guess to sort of ease into the X Men films.
1: Yeah, you know what? I think we are. I I, I keep hearing a lot about uh, superhero fatigue. I don't think it's necessarily that. Although I do see how may, some people may think about it that way. I just think it's about it's about the writing. It's about the stories. Yeah. It's about these characters and 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 how you decide to tell these stories because something. Like we just said this year, uh, the Flash didn't do so well. I think the Flash has a little more, let's say, a little more baggage that it's carrying. Yeah, there's a lot of, of factors. Right. There's a that's a exactly. very unique
0: case. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and Shazam, I think, uh, I think Shazam, it didn't have uh, the star power, in my opinion, for it to to stand out. But I know it's not superhero fatigue because of Guardians, which also came out this year, and that thing did a lot. I think that what James Gunn did with that film, the writing, the story, it it, it just pulled on those strings, those emotional strings that a lot of the other movies aren't. And on top of that, you have an incredible soundtrack and, and, and so on and so forth. But again, I do recognize that The Guardians are very much a beloved franchise by themselves. Uh, These are characters we've been following for years. And for us to know that this was going to be the conclusion of their respective stories it was definitely uh, something to look forward to. So, yeah, I think it's just a matter of the quality, uh, not necessarily the genre, but the quality that that certainly speaking volumes. I'm a little shaky and and, and a little nervous for Blue Beetle <laughs> that that's coming up in a couple of
0: yeah weeks. I know.
1: But you know what? My inner Latina, my inner Chicana is just sharing this movie on, and what I've seen so far, it looks incredible. So we'll, we'll see how it does. Um, I'm very yeah. much looking forward to see what this does for the DC specifically after well, Flash and Shazam.
0: And I think with, with Blue Beetle, they're sort of at least positioning it as the first movie that we know is sort of going to be canon with the new DCU, or at least that's the way that they're sort of framing it.
1: Right.
0: You know, I think they're just trying to also do a little bit of damage control. Like, don't worry, this is not going to be swept away. This is, this counts, uh, which leaves Aquaman too, in a very awkward position
1: Right. moving forward. But,
0: but yeah, enough enough of DC, we're talking Marvel today. (laughs) So as far as the X-Men, what is your what are your your history with these characters? When mm-hmm. did you first come across them, and and you know where do they rank kind of in your in your uh, you know understanding of comic book characters and heroes?
1: Yeah, yeah. So for me, the X Men have been more of a I recognize them based based on pop cultural references for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't grow up watching the series. I didn't grow up watching the movies as they were coming out. As I shifted to becoming a film critic and such, just wanted to uh, catch up with the conversation and not be lost with a lot of the superhero um, chatter that was going up there. So just randomly one day, uh, I'm sure a lot of people do this to try to keep up with the movies and the conversation. I just decided, okay, I got to watch the X-Men franchise. And eventually that's how I ended up. I'm um, watching all the movies. I'm up to date <laughs> with all the <laughs> films. But no, yeah, my first exposure to these characters, uh, to these stories, is on film. Um, I didn't read the comics. Um, I did not watch, it. like I said, the show. So, yeah, it's through the movies. And as, as a film critic, so that, that that's as far right now the only relationship I have um, with them. I I do think that they are. Massively underrated. I think the the, the monster that is the MCU and the DC have definitely overwhelmed um, or overshadowed, per se, uh, this franchise. That I I do feel that they were a big stepping stone to see and, and, and taste the waters to see if they were capable of producing a movie where you did have a variety of superheroes working together or trying at least to coexist uh and i think if it weren't for the x-men you don't have the avengers you don't have um any of the movies that we have right now so yeah that's so far my relationship with the franchise
0: did you start with from the beginning like did you watch the franchise in order on the first watch
1: yes i try i try to watch it as they were coming out so i watched it chronologically by the release year uh, okay, I don't cool. know if I watched it in order based on the story no, I mean, or
0: They don't either. They don't either. These movies contradict themselves. No, I, I mean, everything you said is spot on. And it's kind of been like a lot of these episodes have sort of have begun with a preamble in that vein. That this was this came out three years after Batman and Robin, mm-hmm. which is goes to show you where comic book movies were the, before the original film. The theatrical Marvel films were Howard the Duck and Blade, and then X Men. Yeah. So it, it really is a real trail trailblazer in that way. And also the fact that this franchise tries so many different things with their original trilogy of films that are pretty you know straightforward connectively, right. and then the the prequel spinoff, and then the reboot slash prequel, which First Class, uh, from my understanding, started as a reboot. And uh, then with this movie, kind of got retconned into a prequel because of what this film tries to accomplish. So obviously we're talking X-Men Days of Future Past, directed by, speaking of people with baggage, <laughs> directed by Brian Singer. And it always puts me in an awkward position when I'm covering stars or filmmakers who have, like, all kinds of uh, charges against them and... Yeah. We did the um, on the Crooked Table podcast before I started Franchise Detours. We did the Harry Potter franchise mm. just as everything was really like solidifying among she, uh, around She Who Must Not Be Named. And, um, so it's always kind of skirting past like directed by, but what are your thoughts on this film specifically? I know this one really stands out to you. Among the franchise, what is it about Days of Future Past? Is it just the audacity of what this movie is trying to pull off, or or is it something more?
1: Yeah, I think it's one of the first superhero movies that I've seen that definitely toys around with what truly is possible in terms of the superhero genre. Um, I, I believe that, like I was telling you right before we started recording, I've seen all films for the most part all of the movies I've seen once this one's the only one that I can go back to and rewatch. It's very entertaining. It's very engaging. And yeah, I think it's initially, again, I I rewatched the movie uh, this morning before uh, recording this and I, I never fails me to remind me. And, and then I am just like dumbfounded by this, but the fact that a lot of the way you perceive a movie regardless of how many times you've seen it a lot uh, of the film the interpretation of it or what stands out has a lot to do with where you are in life in terms of your mental state your physical your your philosophical spiritually whatever and how that very much speaks volumes of the movie i like before a couple years ago i would be like yeah it's you know it's very action heavy yeah you know it's not a bad thing, you know, to have a James McAvoy or a Michael Fassbender. It's very appealing to the eye, right? Yeah. But to, and at the time I would be like, yeah, you know what? It's very much out there. It's something I hadn't seen before, but this morning I'm seeing it again and I'm taking on the movie on a more philosophical aspect of it. The social commentary of it um, is what stands out now, right? Mm -hmm. it's the yes you have the mutants and how they're being uh the 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 prejudice against them and 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 so on and so forth but also just random things i kid you know i know people might think i'm crazy but i'm okay with that i have no issue but the fact that this movie is a manifestation of a we oftentimes question ourselves a whether oh damn it if i would have decided to do this what would have happened if I would have changed history it's in some sorts what 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 would be the outcome this movie goes there this movie is that or something like I don't know every time I'm uh, sometimes when I have an interview I get asked hey what would you advise your younger self we see that with Charles in this movie it's so it's something that I guess I'm more in a philosophical uh spiritual state of um, being right now that those are the things that are standing out to me in a superhero movie of all things right (laughs) and so now i'm looking at it much more differently and don't get me wrong i'm still entertained by it i know what's going to happen but it's still it's still suspenseful in some aspects and to see how I don't know. It's just these little sequences, like the quilts, um, Quicksilver thing, and, yeah. and and having to rescue Magneto and 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 such. From all the watching, all the movies, Magneto is the character that stands out to me the most. That's such a fascinating character
0: uh, yeah, to look at,
1: and. Yeah, man. And I, I, I kid you not before I would have been like, yeah, it's a cool superhero movie. Now I'm just getting into this deep aspects of it and the, <laughs> and the humanity and, the, and all these things that I generally never thought that I'd be looking into, particularly in a superhero movie that doesn't necessarily have the reputation of, of making you question your <laughs> your own like decisions in life and such. I know that's Le- a long winded No, episode. no, no,
0: that's great. that's all great. No, it's there's so many different dimensions I think to this yeah. one too. There's the there's the social commentary that you mentioned. That's sort of a running theme through these movies. It's kind mm. of the overarching uh, allegory of of the mutants themselves. There's the the fact that this is Brian Singer coming back to the franchise that he started and kind of marrying the two generations, the two casts of those films to try and create however it doesn't however ill conceived in some ways uh one timeline from this franchise and connect those two it's also to throwing time travel in the mix is always yeah. a, sort of a risky proposition especially this late in in a franchise and as you were alluding to the just the the character dynamics the fact that we have to see Wolverine the the, the most misguided of all these characters right. go back and and help kind of change the minds and the hearts of, you know, these two f- former friends turned enemies and particularly Charles Xavier, who, who seemed the most like put together in every other incarnation that we've seen of this character. I think it's, it's just like from a character perspective, it's fascinating alone before you add everything else. And what struck me watching it this time is it's, it's sort of pre- presenting a revisionist history of our, of our own world even as the characters within the movie are revising their own history. So it sort of works on double levels in that way, too.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I, I co-sign everything you say. And I I mean, I can't lie that, yeah, those action sequences are interesting, but the movie gives, it's given a different type of meaning in my eyes. When you cast a Peter Dinklage, uh, yeah. who is, I mean, obviously he's a, a dwarf and dwarfism comes from a mutation in your genes. So I know <laughs> so you have someone, uh, an actor, <laughs> mind you, Peter Dinklage is an incredible actor yeah. but to have a, somebody who's actually has a mutation in his genes. Be in this movie and, and and give such an incredible performance, but be the one to be um, wanting to implement and 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 pursue the creation of this and uh, Sentinels is just man mind boggling. I don't know. It just gives it a, a different meaning in my eyes.
0: And I think they they acknowledge it sort of just enough. There's like a, a nod towards the fact that that he's a little person right. in this movie, but it, it's it's they don't. Like it's it's subtle that it would inform yeah. his sort of motivation, his interest in mutation in general, uh, but it it doesn't like it's not it doesn't become gimmicky or hack right. in the in that sense. I think they handle it so good, and yeah, of course, Peter Binklage is when, yeah. when when is he not good? I mean, he's yeah, he always kind of delivers. But yeah, to your point, the spectacle in this, I think, is is great. You know, I think it gets picked on a lot for the future stuff being sort of kind of flat. Or, or you know, the the maybe the colors are are just not really there, and it's sort of bleak. And I think that's kind of the point. And I, you know, is it, could that have been more imaginative or better executed? Maybe, but it's the, for me, it's the story we have. There are X Men movies where the spectacle is so much a focus that the story doesn't really meet it to the same level. And I think here you have just enough balance between the two. I think that's always. Sort of a a temptation that these movies or trap that these movies can fall into is that, well, we're gonna have Magneto carry this giant you know the Golden Gate Bridge across, and it's like, okay, why? Like, does he have to do that? Like, or is it just so it looks cool? You know, and and I think you get enough of a sense like in this movie. Do you do you feel like this movie falls into that a little bit when he moves the stadium? Because I think one, it looks cool, but also he wants to isolate everybody, so it kind of works,
1: right? No, I don't mind it, actually. I think it yeah. does look cool.
0: It's also, he wants to demonstrate his power, I think. I think it's also that's a power how move. I, yeah,
1: that's how yeah. I saw it. It's a power move. Nobody can stop me. Charles can't do anything about this. So I'm just going to yeah. show off. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Pretty much. So, uh, yeah, a lot of this movie, too, I think in a way it helps that I'm. I was familiar with the animated series in the '90s. I haven't read a whole lot of the comics. I'm aware this is uh, based on a sort kind of an iconic storyline from from the comics, oh, but okay. it reimagines it in a lot of ways, kind of like the MCU does. So uh, Trask being being a dwarf uh, is obviously not in the original thing. And one thing that I find really interesting here is the way that the time travel is executed. That it's not. I, I think if, I'm not hundred percent sure on this, but I believe in the original comic run, it's the character Bishop who's here played by Omar Sy, who goes back, physically goes back in time. And instead what they do is they have one, uh, they find a way to make you Jackman's Wolverine, the center of the film, which yeah. again, for marketing purposes makes total sense. And also they have the whole where he, the whole idea where he sends his consciousness back through time which i think is sort of a genius move. What do you what do you think of this movie's take on time travel cuz we've seen so many versions of it at this point?
1: Yeah, we have. I think that's what definitely stood out to me a lot. And and yeah, they do give the reasonings. They say that his body is able to regenerate or recuperate much quicker. Um, if anything were to happen to him, which I mean, it does make sense again at, at a time. But yeah, you're definitely right. For marketing purposes, you have to send Hugh Jackman, um, to to uh, to um, back in the time. And I think it was very much genius to have to send his conscien- consciousness and and go out there and and do it that way. Because it it does um, give it a, what do you call it? A a meaningful, well, and for me, again, I still have a lot of movies to watch. But something that I have not seen before. Um, When, yeah, when it comes to time travel, you do have, for the most part, if I'm not mistaken, it's the person that goes back by himself. Whether it's, regardless of the transportation mode, whether it's a vehicle or through quantum physics or whatever. But oh yeah, to have his consciousness consciousness was definitely an interesting one, Would, because I think that by doing that and there's a moment right in the movie where he does kind of goes in and out or phases out of it and then yeah. starts having these flashbacks or such, which added a little bit of layers to not only the character of of, of Hugh Jackman Wolverine, but it also ups the stakes for the people Mm -hmm. in the future who are trying to do this. And he's trying like his body is trying to, he's like hurting who I forgot the name of the character who's sending him back to hunt to back in time, but yeah, it ups up the stakes for them as well. So I think that was actually kind of brilliant.
0: Yeah. There's, there's a lot of stuff in here. like, Like I was saying earlier, like it works as a sequel to the last stand. It works as a sequel to first class. It even pays off a post credit scene in the Wolverine. And so there's a lot of, you can tell with this movie that they have, have paid really close attention to detail from little things like, you know, Wolverine has the bone claws in the 70s. He hadn't gotten the adamantium mm-hmm. yet. They mentioned the the Cuban Missile Crisis as, as depicted in First Class. Uh, and then, as you were mentioning, the, the sort of run in with Stryker which you see flashbacks from X, uh, X two, I believe. Right, and, right. you know, the first two X-Men movies in there, which, are, so it, all those little bits and, and pieces that, t- that get let make this whole thing feel cohesive when really it's three movies, a prequel that doesn't <laughs> really connect to much anymore. And then this one, and then, you know, and then the, the one that came before this and it, it kind of puts everything in line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really think that's, it, it's that those, those details having striker there and having, uh, those things kind of line up that makes this movie f- sort of feel as enriched as it does in a way mm-hmm. narratively <clears throat> but yeah also that's that was also the point at which I believe that the uh the extended version of the movie di- uh, diverts off because I don't know if you've seen it but there's another version of this called the rogue cut that I think is like seventeen minutes long or something like that Ooh. and after he has he runs has that run in with striker and he freaks out and he and he injures uh, Kitty, mm-hmm. which is uh, Kitty Pride, which is the Elliot Page character. Mm-hmm. She, uh, she, that you know Kitty is injured, and then they uh, Magneto and Iceman go on a whole separate like side mission to rescue Rogue because her whole thing is taking on the powers of other mutants so that she can sort of sub in for Kitty and keep Wolverine in the past. So. Is it necessary? Not really. So you could see why they would cut it, but it's, it gives Anna Paquin a little, uh, a little added screen time and it kind of fleshes out the epic feel of this movie. But yeah, that was, the, it's a, it's a really pivotal moment for that character in that movie. And this, it's just like the stakes in this film keep changing too. That's the other thing that I love about it is that yeah. the mission shifts like, uh, two or three times where it's like oh we need to get everybody together to stop a raven from killing this this person uh from killing trask and like oh no now they have her blood now we have to stop it oh now the sentinel now there's the double cross by magneto yeah. because you can always count on magneto to pull a double cross <laughs> <laughs> i don't know when they're gonna figure this out every time they're like all right eric we can trust you oh damn it eric not again <laughs> um, <laughs> um So uh, I I love that it keeps all those twists and turns and they feel rooted in the relationships between these characters as opposed to, you know, uh, just kind of coming out of nowhere. Like this movie feels like it's as much about the changing times and about how the present and the past interact with the future. I mean, Mm -hmm. it literally opens on the darkest timeline for these characters. (laughs) And and as it is, but it's also about how these relationships between characters evolve. How Charles in the seventies is, you know, uh, has a drinking problem and he's like addicted to the serum and he's suppressing his powers and you know eventually I guess in 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 the original version of the timeline he overcame that in his own time maybe much later or or was Wolverine always meant to go back? That's that's the conundrum that time travel sort of creates. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: No, but I it's just it's so wonderfully complex and in in an age where so many superhero movies feel convoluted and not complex. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's, it was so refreshing to see how everything pays off.
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And I mean, to, to what you were saying, I, I think that's what, what it's also engaging and entertaining because even from the beginning, yes, you do start at a very dark moment in, in the present time, but then they try to figure out, okay, what, what can we do? We have to go back to the past, uh, stop this specific moment or, or, or for, from happening, so then they do that. But yeah, it's those twists and those turns. It's having to convince Charles to help out to find Raven and and then rescue and Magneto. And then from that, you go (laughs) find Raven. Yeah. It's just all of that that makes it engaging. And, 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 and no, I I completely agree with you on that term.
0: We should also, since we're sort of bringing them up a, a little bit now, we should also talk about James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Uh, Jennifer Lawrence. I guess the big three of this this first class run of the franchise. I think Mac. I would say in the first one, to me, Fassbender stood out more in first class. I feel like that movie essentially started as X Men Origins Magneto and then developed into first class. This to me is McAvoy's movie. Like, you know, I think there's an argument to be had for who is truly the protagonist of this movie? Cause it's like, is it the one on with the mission, you mm-hmm. know, Wolverine? Is it, is it uh, the, this character on whom the entire plot hinges, which is, which would be mystique or is it mm-hmm. McAvoy, you know, and Xavier who undergoes, you know, probably the biggest change. Who would you say is the, is the protagonist of this film? Is there a single protagonist, I guess. And what, what do you, what where do the performances land for you?
1: Oh, la la. Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, la 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 la. I don't think there is a specific protagonist because I can see how someone can make the argument for Hugh Jackman since, I mean, he's the one that, that's going back in time and he's still in the present. So I understand that argument, but in terms of, if we were to talk just about Fassbender and Lawrence and McElroy, I think it would have to be James McAlboy because he is the one that it's in a very dark place mentally. He's the one that has to overcome a lot of the, he's the one that's angry and, and, and very much trying to just be isolated and, and, and just trying to, Suppress his powers to obviously um, continue to walk, and so so, I think it's him. He he he's the one that's trying to, to to help out obviously to um, find Raven and such, but also trying to coexist alongside uh, fastbender or Magneto, and 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 see that dynamic um, turn out. And I think that's what I also love about the X Men, specifically that relationship, uh, the the Magneto. And um, Charles Xavier, they're both, I can see how they can be good friends and such, but their perspective, their lens, um, how they react to certain scenarios are completely different from one one another. And, and, And that's what I also find fascinating, the dynamics of these characters and how they end up dealing with it. Because so many arguments happen and so many confrontations amongst both of them. But you understand both sides of the story. You understand both, both where both characters are coming from, uh, the motivation to their actions. And yeah, we can f- see how Eric at times can um, be very much of a, 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 not a backstabber, but certainly like you were just saying, just uh, crosses uh, um, people and such. but you understand where he's coming from. You understand yeah. the motives. Whether you agree with him or not, that's a different conversation but you know where it's coming from. And I think that's why the movie is so good because it's, it's, it's those layered, it's the layered characters that make it. And then plus the story definitely adds to it and, and, and makes it more rich and such. So yeah. And then that's what makes it compelling. And, and, and that gives it the rewatchability factor that, Obviously, in my case, I've seen this movie countless times. I generally have forgotten the number of times I've seen it. That's how many times I've seen it.
0: It, Magneto is just one of those characters that half the time when he's doing something, you just shrug your shoulders. You're like, I mean, he's not wrong. (laughs) right? So it's like, you know, every time he's like, oh, you know, the humans will draw first blood or like they're going to come and get us. And then they always do. And he's like, well, see, I've been telling you, Charles. And you, you get that extra you know, that fury that Fassbender brings to it. Yeah. Whereas uh, Ma- McKellen has like, he, it's, he's older. So he's more, he's more weary about the whole thing. Whereas Fassbender, it's all, everything is fresher for him. Right. And everything is, is you know, he's, he's at, he's at a different place in his life. So <clears throat> when he reacts emotionally to things, you can sense that frustration. He's like, I'm living in a time where, Literally, everyone around me—that uh, I, all the mutants that I know, the good ones—they're not fighting. They're not joining me in this fight. They're hiding. It, Charles is taking the the serum because he doesn't want to hear the voices. He doesn't want to, you know, indulge in, his, in the powers right. that he has, or you know, he's kind of pushing that at bay. Raven is staying in disguise as much as possible. And I know this, these movies sometimes get criticism for the amount of times that. Jennifer Lawrence and Nicholas Holt are not in makeup because, you know, you want to get your movie star faces out there, especially Lawrence. This obviously came out. This now is coming out a couple years after The Hunger Games, and she won an Oscar and all of that. So I get that. But it also fits the characters that they would be, you know, her whole thing is is about stealth. That's kind of her M.O. pretty much at all times. So it, it makes sense that these characters would react that way. How do you feel about this going into... And building off of first class, which establishes not only the friendship between uh, Xavier and and uh, Eric, I guess well it should be Charles and Eric because now we're we're <laughs> mixing and matching last names and first names, but you know what I mean. Yeah, Professor X and, and Magneto. The fact that it establishes that friendship, but it also establishes two sides, two teams of mutants: the Brotherhood, the initial Brotherhood of Mutants, and the like first group of students for his school. Almost all of those characters are dead by the time we get to this one. Right. And I, I could see almost some fans of First Class coming in here and being like, well, they undid all this stuff from First Class and just, just set 10 years later. And Angel and Banshee and uh, Emma Frost and all these characters are gone. I think you get uh, Alex Summers' Havoc. Uh, in Mm -hmm. the one scene with with mystique when she rescues him and a bunch of other mutants does that does that hurt the movie at all or how do you think that it it plays off of that
1: i think it just adds to magneto's frustrations and i mean i mean one of the standout sequences is that playing sequences right when when he just goes all out and expresses and just emotionally tells it Xavier Charles, ah, you see, not more. All... <laughs> uh, mixing the names here, uh, tells him exactly what what he thinks, and a lot has to do. So, I I don't think it hurts the movie, in my humble opinion. I think it just yeah. adds more to the character of Magneto, why he's probably it just reassures him in his positioning and and and, and why he continues to believe what what he does and, and react the way he does, and with these two, it's just a matter of the way a lot has to do with how you think if you are the type of person that are a full on supporter of of fight fire with fire or a knife for an eye that you're going to be full on on magneto's side right or if you're more of a hey don't stand down to their level try to take a step back think about it consider possible consequences so on and so forth be more mindful of the situation instead of knee jerk reactions then you're going to be more of a charles mentality kind of thing and in this case i mean i'm more like on charles side here <laughs> we have to think yeah. that we, we have to pick sides but i understand why some people can become very frustrated um with the, the situation particularly what's going on in the film with the mutants and so on and why you would want to react um that way but If you do react the way you're kind of giving the humans like the reasoning, like, yeah, you're just going to prove them they're right. And you're just going to prove that we are, in fact, dangerous for humanity and that, yes, these big sentinels should be um, built for our protection and and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it's a matter of perspective. Um, But in terms of your question... No, I I don't think it hurts the movie. I think it just adds more to Magneto's character and 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 the reasoning behind all his decisions.
0: I think if you're one of those people that grew up like really into the comics and really into like if you're a big Emma Frost character and they're like oh she's gone now you're like oh she was my favorite or whatever uh, I see I think then I think people like because I I'm I'm with you like I I I watched the the animated series but I wasn't like I, I'm much more of an appreciator of. Comic book related media that's not the comic books. Like I've read some of them, but mm-hmm. I've more seen the shows, watched the movies, played the video games, that kind of thing, than actually re- read a lot of these comics arcs. Which is, you know, something I guess I should work on <laughs> as a student of pop culture in general. But I, yeah, it's. I think it works because of two moments. One that's seen on the plane, which is so powerful. Yeah, which I, I justifies Magneto's actions justify uh you know underscores Charles' actions. And also even though giving Charles his legs back and to sacrifice his powers is sort of a, a unexpected an unexpected move because I don't think anything like that's been done really before in these stories that I'm aware of at least. It also sort of takes Charles off the board for a lot of this movie because he is so powerful. It's one of those things that it's like It's like the Superman problem. Like anytime you have Superman in a movie, the big Mm. question is like, well, how are we going to have stakes? This guy is basically invulnerable unless you play the kryptonite card constantly. (laughs) You know? Uh, So it it sort of sidelines uh, Charles and his abilities for a lot of the film. But it's that scene on the plane with Magneto and it's the scene with Raven when she's looking through the files where you're like, see, this is what she's fighting for. This is the way that that hits her and the way it transitions into when she turns into Dinklage and she has that tear on her, on her rolling down her cheek. Yeah. that Those two moments are so powerful and I think drive the emotion of all of these, uh, of uh, all the, the, the main characters. And also it dovetails into these movies. First Class was set in the 60s. It has sort of a very kind of swinging 60s, kind of James Bond-esque aesthetic to it. Mm-hmm. And this one in, being in the 70s has more of that, sort of political conspiracy kind of, you know, political thriller aspect. There's like part of, there's like uh, almost like a heist sequence when they break Magneto out of prison, yeah. all of that. I think it, it leans into that, that, um, that sort of tone as well.
1: No, I completely agree um, with, 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 that aspect. And also um, I do like the, the, the aesthetic, like oftentimes how they go back from, I think it's like TV or film, uh, or watching a yeah. TV. Uh um I don't know, I think it might be the like uh, news decoration. footage or like yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also pretty uh cool just to um to look at. And yeah, the style, the fashion styles. I think like um uh, Raven turns into like uh <laughs> I don't know how it would look up, looked upon now, but um yeah, look a black woman with a fro and then a specific costume and and, and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's very interesting that, that 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 you can have a movie like this one, like a superhero movie, and kind of mess around with those things with the timeline in terms of the era and and how you can depict that in in, in that sense. Like I know we see it again, um, obviously later in other movies like Endgame and yeah. such, but certainly this one did it well. in, in my home.
0: yeah. Yeah, it's the it's it's the X-Men movies trying to play a sort of a shared universe card. Uh yeah. I also wanted to point out too, since we were mentioning like the the political thriller aspect of it, the whole the the mention of the fact that Magneto is locked up because they think he killed JFK because yeah. of the curving bullet.
1: Yeah.
0: I think is really is really smart writing. And the fact that he was there to Actually, try and save JFK because he was a mutant, and then later on, when he when he turns on Raven, he 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 fires the gun and then curves the bullet so it follows her down the side of the building. So like even little details like that pay off in this movie in really satisfying ways.
1: That's so true. Yeah, when when I first saw the movie and they say yeah, you know like JFK. I was like, "Oh man, they went there." Um but no, you're absolutely right. That is smart writing and the fact that that whole that, that aspect comes back um later with with Raven. Damn. That that is kind of brilliant. <laughs> I'm sitting here <laughs> and that you mention it.
0: <laughs> we were talking uh, p- uh Charles Xavier.
1: Mm-hmm. We have
0: to mention obviously uh, Cerebro returns in this movie. It's it's really uh, the, the machine that he uses to, to locate the mutants. It, it's really in, in the first two movies a lot and then sort of disappears for most of the the next couple. I guess it's in first class a little bit, um, but there's something that's magical about that scene with McAvoy and Patrick Stewart. It's, it's the mission statement scene for the movie. It's like, this is what the movie is about, essentially.
1: Yeah, um, that's an- another standout scene to me. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a couple and I think that's why this movie is so special because you can sit down and think of all these many um, sequences that that just stick with you and yeah that one of, of, of Stewart and McAvoy, man, so powerful. And I, I think a lot has to do with, obviously they're both powerhouses in their own as, as actors, but it's I think it's McAvoy's reaction to it and, and, and just the way yeah. he acts. And mind you, I know we, we, he's an incredible actor. After all, he did just split and convinced me somehow that he was all these different personalities in one <laughs> body. But I think it's his performance and his reaction to the conversation he has with his older self that just makes it even more just elevates it to what it, it can easily be um just a, a normal and and it's not a bad thing if it's just a, a a normal sequence but it's the reaction of McAvoy that I personally think elevates uh that specifics it's
0: it's also the essence of who that character Charles Absolutely. Xavier is at his core he has that line Stuart has that line that he tells McAvoy, where he says, just because someone stumbles, loses their way, doesn't mean they're lost forever. That's who Charles Xavier is. Right. That's who the, uh, I don't even remember what Earth it is, in Multiverse of Madness, the Doctor Strange film, he says that same line about Doctor Strange. That, oh, really? The, the our Doctor Strange that goes there uh, mm-hmm. when he comes out. So like, that's, in every version of the Multiverse, that's who Charles Xavier is. So I, I love that they have sort of a scene that crystallizes it. And yeah, Jackman's, Hugh Jackman's chemistry in this movie, especially with McAvoy is outstanding. Like for two guys that haven't worked before on multiple movies, like he has with Patrick Stewart, like right out of the gate, like every scene they have together is is really special too.
1: Oh yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, for me personally, also another plain scene uh, when Jackman tells him, um, ja- uh, James McAvoy to hey yeah. promise me that you're gonna yeah. go out there hey, again yeah that sincerity and the chemistry between them man it helps a, a whole lot just like oh man just a little tear like oh it's so also, much dirt in the house <laughs> it's, it's
0: it's also so much like pain and suffering that's ahead for them because yeah. it's it sort of reminds me of like kind of the 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 end of a where it's like after everything she knows, is she going to change her path? Or is she going to forge ahead as she was, uh, you know, as, as was originally the plan. Cause he tells you Jackman at this point as has lived through the last stand, he's lived through dark Phoenix. Scott has been killed. He's seen where, where, how dark this future gets. And even then he's still like, promise me, you're going to go get these people. Cause it's worth it. What we did together and what, you know, what we accomplished and it, it's, it, you know, uh, it's it's worth all the the bad times that we've had along the way and all the suffering and pain we've been through. It's like, yeah, I, I love I love all of that. Like the, the continuity yeah. between that and the way that those characters connect. Let's see, <laughs> what else did I want to make sure we covered here? The Sentinels. You mentioned the Sentinels. Yeah. We find we they tease the uh, old school like big metal robot like version of the Sentinels in Last Stand at the beginning, and in this one we get sort of that version of it. But we also get like these super sleek, you know, futuristic robots, yeah. which the idea of giving those those machines the ability to absorb the mutant DNA and having Mystique's, you know, DNA, her genes being the key to all that. Again, this is just like, this. is watching it this time, I was like, man, maybe Days of Future Past is my favorite one because it's so interesting. Like y- little details like that, that, stand out to me about like all the little intricacies of the story. And it's, it's, you know, it all pretty much works. I feel like it shouldn't work because like we were saying, this is like kind of the sequel to like three different movies. And yet here we are, you know?
1: Yeah. And it speaks to obviously the brilliance of Peter Dinkler's character and how he's able to come up with this and, and, and come up with the idea. And yeah, I was thinking when the movie was starting, like, Damn, these sentinels are like indestructible because they can just yeah. turn into anything and that's it. Which makes it, yeah, it obviously ups the stakes, but it it certainly does. Man, and, and the fact that all that comes from um tra is it tracks? I think it's tracks, yeah. And and, and, and so on that damn, it's just like, okay, I can see why you want to go back to the past and try to uh, (laughs) prevent this from even existing because I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't blame them for doing that.
0: Yeah, we got to talk Quicksilver real fast.
1: (laughs) Quicksilver,
0: Evan Peters, still the best Quicksilver, even though we got one in the MCU. Uh, Obviously, they mishandled. I feel like dropped the ball on bringing this Quicksilver into the... MCU with WandaVision, but, you know, whatever. Oh, uh, what are your thoughts on Evan Peters as as Peter Maximoff, uh, who is in the comics the son of Magneto, which they sort of tease that here a little bit. You get that in the, the line where he says, oh, my mom knew a guy who could yeah. control metal one time. And then his mom watching the TV at the end, being like, oh, crap. I, <laughs> I know that guy. I hope, I hope he... Peter doesn't put two and two together.
1: Right.
0: Would, his, I I like that it's, the movie is clearly just wants him there for the one sequence, yeah. but they don't like, they make it, uh, I, I almost prefer that they just have Wolverine be like, oh, I know a guy, he'd be a young man. Let's bring him in for the next 15 minutes of this movie and then let him leave the movie as opposed to having an abundance of characters and then not having them stand around, not doing anything. I almost prefer this approach. You
1: I do too. Uh, yeah, just give him his moment and then that's it. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know what? I, I like Evan Peters. He's definitely a, an incredible Quicksilver. And, yeah, just the way he's introduced, they just looking at the floor mat, right? Like the welcome yeah. mat. And he just feels like, okay, this is where we're going now. And, yeah, they come in and, yeah, he's playing ping pong by himself. That's how fast yeah. he is. And I don't know. And that's another thing that, that certainly has um, – and mind you, I know there's older films with great visuals, but the visuals in this movie, man, they're they're pretty fascinating. They're pretty remarkable. Um, they still uh, hold um, strong. But yeah, in terms of Quicksilver, man, that sequence easily, again, here we go. I sound like a broken record now. Another memorable sequence or a sequence mm-hmm. that stands out. Perhaps the one that stands out the most out of all of yeah. them. And yeah, Time in a Bottle, man, that song. As soon as I hear it, that's the first thing that pops up and, and <laughs> him just doing his thing and just, oh, man, I love it. I, I definitely love what they did with the character. He's briefly introduced, goes to what he has to do, and then that's it. And, and he's gone. And well, for the film. And right. I, I, I'm I, there with you. I prefer it that way, because like you said, otherwise you're just going to have too many characters and you're not going to know or you're going to start. um. I don't want to say complaining, but certainly they can be an issue with, oh, yeah, this character was underutilized or blah, 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 or just missed um, the missed opportunity to have a specific character. So, no, I'm right there with you um, how he was utilized.
0: These movies also sort of struggle, I think, with the ensemble cast, like as much Mm -hmm. as I love X two X-Men United, there are major parts of that team who are just kind of chilling for most of the movie you know, I think anytime they could sort of streamline that focus a bit, I think it helps. This is a movie where Oscar winner Halle Berry is in it as storm, but literally, I think she has one line of dialogue in the theatrical version. uh, And then she gets killed. So it's like that kind of thing where you're like, it's cool to see you, but you didn't really do anything. Having Quicksilver come in at like, just like mic drop and then peace out, I think is so much more impactful. And I feel like, that scene, because we hadn't seen anything like that in the X-Men films before, it's it's the moment, I think, if you weren't into the movie, fully invested in the movie by that point, and I think it happens like 30, like maybe 40 minutes in, mm-hmm. soon after Magneto uh, enters the the storyline, uh, that's the one where you're like, oh, okay, the first 30, 40 minutes, like, I thought this was cool, but I was like, how is this going to pay off? Once that happens, you're like, oh, okay, no, this is, I'm in good hands. We're, we're good. We got this. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like yeah, that's I think I think that's probably the the scene that sort of put everybody's minds at ease with this whole uh timeline mashup kind of thing,
1: yeah, and you know it's a good scene, and you know it's definitely it stands out when now I mean the movie is what you said twenty fourteen so almost ten years ago, oh my God almost yeah. ten years, I know <laughs> time flies. Uh, You've seen movies now, like, I don't know, I think the first one that comes to mind is Sonic, right? Huh? Sonic the Hedgehog right. has a similar sequence going on in his film. So when you've influenced the future movies, um, no pun intended, <laughs> you know you've got something special in your hand. So yeah, definitely the standout scene. But yeah, it's it's. I agree. It, when you do see it, for me, I like the the entirety of the movie there isn't necessarily a low point for me because I'm, I'm a big fan of yeah the action sequences how it begins and trying to escape the sentinels but then also gathering and making a plan and um going out to search for a young uh, charles xavier and trying to convince him and then quicksilver and then eric and so on and then what happens on their journey to um find raven as well those aren't I don't know, the small moments, I love. I love the conversations for the most part uh, because, again, these are complex characters. The stories are very meaningful. Um, so I don't think I there was, if I think about it, I don't, can't think of a part in this film that I did not like. Right. Or that I can like openly criticize because it's just yeah. from beginning to end.
0: Yeah, I think, the, like I said, the only thing I can really think of is that all the the future heroes, like we don't really get a much time with any of them, right? but we already know who they are. Like, that's why that's why it works, <clears throat> because we've seen Iceman and Kitty Pride and Colossus and Storm and everyone from the original trilogy. We're like, oh, we know these guys. Cool. And they're not the focus. I think that's the other thing. I think, you know, this is much more a follow up to first class than it is to the original mm-hmm. trilogy, even mm-hmm. though it has both of those threads. So that, that would probably be like the only thing I can really think of, but even that, like it's worth it because of the way the movie ends, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. I, I I love just seeing all those people together again and, uh, and having, you know, having the having the the prospect of seeing some of those characters now in Deadpool three, it sounds like some of them are going to make at least cameos in that. Oh, okay. All about that. All about that. But especially if it's, especially if the MCU is going to take over properly, in the near future, like give me as much of these guys as you can before we close the book on that for good.
1: Oh no, I agree.
0: Sorry, I had to cough for a second.
1: Oh no worries.
0: I muted it because I like I'm feeling better, but it's still it's still lingering a little bit, so it like tickles with all the talking. Oh, but yeah, no, I, I, I every little thing the the score specifically too. I wanted to shout that out. The music in these movies is always on point, but John Ottman, who did X two. And then he came back for this one with that X Men theme, so good. We, as we mentioned, the uh, the Professor X Hope theme, it's just so satisfying as a fan of the series to, you know, to have the what the closest this franchise has to an iconic theme coming back.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, I think also the camera work. It uh, certainly stands out, and I I appreciate when I can watch, sit down and watch a movie and. And, and and see whether we are viewing somebody from a again, I'm I'm such a geek and Uh, Some people (laughs) people might hate it, but oh, well, Uh, I'm such a geek when it comes to seeing a movie and, and seeing the variety where the whether the frame is done diagonally or low angle or high angle and just showcases the difference in powers between these characters. And you have a lot of that throughout here. Not not a lot in terms of it's overdone, but enough for you to understand where these characters stand in terms of power rankings in a way. So no, I think the, the 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 camera work was very very well, and I concur. The score is there, and I mean it's just the 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 the, the overall execution of it that that just works. And <laughs> I mean, here we go. But you know what? Okay, I'm one of those people who. I am perfectly fine uh, separating the director or an actor from their personal um, behavior and, and, and so on and so forth. I, I did the, the amount of, of backlash I got and just recently. I reviewed a movie sound of freedom. That's getting a lot of political right. backlash from whatever side is just getting political backlash. And then also I think it was last year or the year before I, I did um, review the documentary that they did for the 20th anniversary of Harry Potter. And I also got (laughs) a a lot of backlash for that, but you know what? And, and this is just my, my, my humbled opinion. A movie is a an effort, a collaborative effort. Right. Um, a movie, there's a hundreds, oh, hundreds, depending on the, the film, but there's more than one person involved in this movie. And for me, when it comes to Harry Potter, for instance, I'm, I'm not going to boycott seeing a movie or talking about it because of people don't agree with a certain... Um, Person's viewpoints because at the end of the day, you do have a Daniel Radcliffe and an Emma Watson, and you do have in a who directed the third movie, and, and mm-hmm. Chris Columbus, and all those people a lot of people involved here that, in my humble opinion, don't deserve <laughs> to get I don't want to say ignored but get, get their films and their work I don't want to say canceled either because I don't think it's canceled, it's just been not looked upon or not viewed because
0: tarnished marred by go. the actions of one person of one
1: person exactly so when it comes to here we go um mr brian singer here i i think the movie overall works and a lot does have to do with what he did with his vision in 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 terms of this franchise and i get it <laughs> i am in no way Saying that on on his personal life or anything like that, that it, 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 what he did was right or anything like that. But in terms of his directing skills, they're strong. Um, they're they're really great, and the fact that he was able to pull this off and make it work, it's quite impressive in my in my humble opinion. But I know I'm gonna get a lot of, <laughs> a, lot of a lot of backlash for this.
0: But. Well, I mean, he's directed what are widely considered two of the best x-men movies between this and x2 x-men united so it's it's like if you ask any most people their top three or four like those two are both in the mix and it's you know brian singer not a great dude but a pretty good director when he's like on top of it as you know it's later in his career i think he was less plugged in obviously x Men apocalypse follows follows this and he also directed that and that was much less well received but Mm -hmm. you know that'll be that'll be a conversation for next time uh needless to say i think this is the stronger movie and a lot of it i guess has to do with his take there and like you were saying with the cameras like the the even the action like the 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 more visceral sort of action sequences i'm thinking like the magneto beast fight in the middle of the movie Mm -hmm when Magneto tries to shoot Raven and like every time he tries to make things better, it actually makes things worse, which is again, sort of a, a, it feels very much in the vein of time travel stories in general, like, Oh, I'm going to fix this. Oh, well now you created a different problem. So even that sequence, like that fight, like near the fountain, uh, all of that I think is, is so well put together and well staged that uh, yeah, it's easy to sort of follow that even when the characters are jumping around and stuff.
1: Right. Yeah, I agree. Those action sequences are very well shot. Uh, not once are you lost or you're like, okay, wait, what the hell's going on here? Right. You you can follow <laughs> everything that's going on. And yeah, a lot has to do obviously with the editing. And so, but the camera shots as well.
0: Yeah. Let's see. I wanted to point out, I love how it opens with Patrick Stewart's voiceover. No. Questioning is the future truly set? And me as the time travel fan, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so in. And then it ends on James McAvoy's voiceover, which I loved to do the, the the iconography of the franchise is like fully on display you know mystique has the yellow eyes that show up so we know yeah. that it's her Charles and Eric's friendship is based on not only a mutual care for Raven but also their mutual love of chess I love that they keep that going throughout uh and then like the little character moments that we mentioned you know we sort of alluded to some of them but when Logan steps through the metal detector and then sort of pauses and looks like oh huh, that's weird that usually triggers something yeah. Uh, I, I love all that stuff. You already mentioned the the remember those names scene on the plane with with Logan, which I was gonna I was gonna cover that. That's so we got that covered. The one thing that, that that also that's weird about this movie is that the is that Mystique has custody of Wolverine, but then that never really pans out. I don't think because in the next movie he's sh- he's in Weapon X facilities like like he would have been anyway. So I feel like that's just a thread that they maybe had ideas for and then just dropped. But other than that, like it, it retcons The Last Stand and X-Men Origins Wolverine out of existence, which I think most fans would agree. Like, yeah, that's, those are like the two worst ones. That's fine. I, I, how did you feel the first time, I guess the first time watching this, especially if you were watching the franchise in sequence, mm-hmm. that now the like, post-apocalyptic future timeline, which, which was weirdly 2023 uh, is when that's supposed to be set... Uh, that now in 2023, Scott's alive, Jean's alive, everybody gets their happy ending. Because for me, it was really sort of emotional as a longtime fan to then see Fomka Jansen standing in that doorway and the impact that that has on Wolverine, especially since the Wolverine just really heavily leans into like the, the sense of loss he has from Jean's death.
1: Mm, that's right. Oh, man, I hadn't thought about that one. You know what? I I, I think that... <sighs> I know that (laughs) I'm so, it's a little conflicting to, to, hear about all the criticisms on on the franchise and and so on and so forth. And AI gets the main issue here is, well, for a lot of people, it's the timeline, right? How it's not, um, it doesn't follow a specific timeline. But I don't know. I, I like to think of a movie, especially this one, when you did go back in time and you did change certain scenarios, I don't see how certain future outcomes would stay the same. Um, yeah, yeah. you cha- you did change a lot. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and, and that's the, the, the thing, right. I, and I can, I can understand the criticism behind it because yes, you did change a specific scenario, but obviously it does have a ripple effect. You did change other things as well. And what effects do those things have right. for the future? So I, I mean, the ending th- that was emotional. I, I do think that however. Re- the Wolverine, how it ends, and, and, and so on and so forth. It, it did hit me. Um, it, it did get to me. So, yeah, I I understand the criticisms behind it. Don't necessarily agree with it. At the end of the day, it's just the movie. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people take movies very hardcore and personal and, and <laughs> so on. And like, It's okay. It's just a film. It's okay. Yeah. We'll, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll survive. Or we can go back to the <laughs> f- past and change things.
0: <laughs> there you go. No, I, I, yeah, I personally love the ending. I think it's so great. And yeah. then the fact that he's like, uh, <laughs> Logan's I think supposed to teach history and he's, which makes sense because he's been alive for like a couple hundred years. Yeah. But he's like, oh, I think I need, I I need a refresher myself. And he's like, what's the last you remember? The last thing you remember? Because Charles has been waiting like 50, 60 years to have this conversation. Yeah. Because yeah, the, the way that all played out, I, I love, you know, I love all that. And it's also funny too, that these movies are set like one, a decade. So every movie they all unite and they go their separate ways for <laughs> 10 years. And then cross paths again. It's just really funny to me.
1: Yeah.
0: No, no, I love the ending. And then we get the post-credits scene that sort of teases Apocalypse uh, and the Four Horsemen. Oh, which, that's
1: right, that's right.
0: Which, uh, yeah, again, this was, this was fully, The Wolverine was the first one of these to have like a post-credits tease that was when Ooh. Fox was like, "Okay, Marvel Studios, we need to implement that. We have Marvel characters too. We can do some of that." Um, so this was that that time where they were just full on teasing each movie to movie. Which I, I you know, I think it, some of their better movies came out. And like, obviously, we we agree that this is one of their uh, one of the highlights of this franchise. Is there anything about X Men: Days of Future Past we haven't discussed that you want to make sure we mention before we start winding down?
1: Oh man, um. I know we've talked about Raven, but we've discussed her more as a as a some like in in in, in the subject of yes, they're on the way to find her but in right. terms of Jennifer Lawrence performance was also like I'm not the biggest Jennifer Lawrence fan, but mm. <laughs> you know what what she does here. It's pretty darn good, you know. She does have a very uh, another moment. She has very several moments here as in the movie. Yeah. We just haven't had a chance to talk about her because she's more of a of a of, I don't know. Probably not as strong as a Magneto as a Charles Xavier, but right. she has the telephone booth scene with Magneto that I Which found to be yeah quite interesting. The one where she's in the hospital, um, recovering from from the wound, and and just seeing her. The, the realization of how people would think of her or how act- they actually do think of her. Cause she, she wasn't all blue and such. So she has a lot of special moments here. I can understand in a way why as a person, her Jennifer Lawrence would be a little frustrated um, with all the makeup and such. Cause the makeup in that movie, it's pretty darn incredible.
0: Yeah, it is.
1: <laughs> it looks pretty, pretty darn awesome. I was wondering, though, I've only seen the theatrical release. You did mention there was a, um, a I don't know, a director's cut or something, an extended right. version. You said the sequence with um, Magneto and so on. Is that the only thing that's there or is there more? I
0: think that's the major thing. There might okay. be a little. It's been a while since I've seen the the extended version. I might after this, this conversation, I might I'm all charged up about this movie again. I might go and watch that version next um, because I haven't seen it in a, in a minute. That's the main, that was the main section is that there's this, that whole subplot in the middle with Magneto in it. But I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely worth watching, especially if you enjoy this movie and you want more of this movie, but it is, it does seem to lean. I think it does lean more on the future side of things. So Mm -hmm. if that's less interesting, then, you know, maybe, maybe read about it first before you spend the time to watch. Yeah. No, this it's, it's an, it's a really fascinating entry in the franchise in a franchise that has lots of turns, Lots of lots of detours, as it were. I think it's it's one of the more interesting ones because of everything it's trying to accomplish and largely succeeds at. What do you think is the legacy of the X-Men movie franchise? What is what is this what does it contribute to cinema or the superhero genre?
1: Yeah, um, I think that it's a a franchise that it is pivotal, like um we were saying at the beginning of the of the recording to what would come afterwards to the Avengers too. Uh, well maybe not justice league right? um but to to yeah to having movies with various superheroes in it um uh, it, it is definitely a stepping stone um to that and certainly does pave the way um to 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 those films and the genre and and, and the bigger um aspect of it man it, it, it's a franchise that and my opinion is very, very much underrated. I don't hear a lot of people yeah. talking about it when you do have these conversations about, oh yeah, favorite franchises of all time or, I don't know, characters or so on and so forth. I, none of the X-Men come up uh, a lot yeah. um, in terms of even characters or, or the franchise itself. And I think it's um, unfortunate because they they do have a, a very important space and a very important position when it comes to cinema particularly in the superhero genre I think they, they're they very much pivotal um, I don't think if you do have this franchise I don't know, right? Referring to Days of Future Past without the X-Men, I don't know what would be of the Avengers or of the MCU or of the DCEU so uh, it, it is very important in my humble opinion they are certainly a, a franchise that deserve to have more acknowledgement and recognition and people should get over the obsession of having linear or concurrent storytelling or or so on and so forth Uh, it's just a movie it's a franchise just same characters i get it people want to see everything uh follow one thing or another or are very picky in terms of like oh well this didn't happen on this movie or they didn't say this or or this right. person said this and then a few movies hugh jackman's early.
0: too tall or yeah. whatever oh it's my like, god yeah, that's the constant thing
1: and even <laughs> just people just like okay we had a picture come out right it's still of deadpool with yeah. hugh jackman in, in the yellow suit um, which I don't think we've ever seen before, right? If I'm not right. it. so a lot of people are already criticizing that. I'm like, homie, it's just a picture. Come down. Yeah. <laughs> like why does he? Why does he
0: have it? sleeves? Why yes. does that suit have sleeves? It's like uh, because having hairy arms with gloves and a and a like, I mean, if if they're treating it like armor and it's more grounded, it's right. you know that makes more sense. But whatever, like you're never gonna be happy. So yeah, yeah. I think a part of it is is those. I think part of it is why it might be underrated. Part of it could be the comic book purists that could just complain about everything and are like, well, they didn't do it, but wasn't what Bolivar Trask was like in the comics or whatever. There's that. I think there's also maybe just people that have just gotten drowned out by the sheer volume of superhero stuff in the last 20 years. Uh, I think that's definitely part of it. And also this franchise is wildly all over the place. Like some of these movies, like we like this one are really good. And some of these movies are really not that good. That's
1: true. Yeah. Um,
0: So it's like, I, I think maybe they sort of split the difference when they consider this franchise, which is unfortunate because, you know, it's say what you will about the DCEU and the mess that that has turned out to be what I respect is that some of those movies have crazy ideas and they go for it and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But in a way I almost prefer that to what Marvel has done a lot of the time, which is they're consistently fine, consistently good or, or decent mm-hmm, movies. Mm-hmm. But like, there's nothing, the, the, the tone is just so, Like it's at the same level all the time, like almost not all the time because there are obviously you have your Black Panthers, your guardians, your, you know, you have movies like Eternals that are completely, uh, completely different, which Mm -hmm. I appreciated a lot. I know that got a very mixed reaction from uh, the public. I I appreciate those big swings that even if they don't land, like you tried something, you mixed it up. You didn't just do X-Men six and it's the same cast of characters
1: moving along.
0: And I, you know, I like that they take chances with it.
1: Oh, I agree. I, I, I am very much of a variety type of gal and, and, and to see, yeah, those bold people being bold and taking those chances and, 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 and such. So, yeah, I, I think I can see why a lot of, uh like you just said, comic book um. Hardcore fans of the comics can be heavily critical of this. When you do hold a, 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 let's say, a franchise or a group of characters or a story very dear to you, um, that, 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 that it gets either a readaptation to a film or something, you can't, because I'll be completely honest, I can, I'm definitely being a hypocrite here. I have been critical of heavily critical of things that I hold dear. So I understand right. um, why. So it's easier for me said um to say, Hey, don't be too critical of things when I'm not a big fan of the franchise myself. Dude, yeah. When when the movie of Lucy and Darcy, I'm a big, I love Lucy fan, like hardcore. I love Lucy fan. And when you had that movie with Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem come out, Oh my God, I heavily criticize it. And because it's something again that I hold dear to me, so I understand yeah. why it, the franchise can get the type of reaction. But yeah, I, I just hope people would just view the movies for for what they are. And yeah, there's going to be compare and, and a lot of comparison to other franchises and the comics. And I get it. Trust me, I do. But. It can oftentimes get a little annoying. Yeah. <laughs> if it's no. constantly it's just a constant, constant, constant just criticism after criticism and just nitpicking here and there just to be I, I feel at times that there's people out there who are contradictory just for the sake of the clicks for the sake of being contradictory. Yeah. And, and and that's what frustrates me the most. Again, everybody's over Everybody has their own opinions, and everybody can go out there and say as they wish, as they think. But when you do go out there and just are heavily critical, and just out, and you're just loud for the sake of attention seeking, then that's when I I find it a little bit more of a oh really just getting along. No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, and especially if when that becomes that turns into dismissal of this franchise as a whole, mm-hmm. like we were saying, some of these movies are so good, you know, to that end, what, what would you say are kind of, we're not doing rankings because there's 10 of these movies we're covering yeah, would be yeah, another yeah. episode. What, what would be like your top three of these, uh, of the X-Men franchise?
1: You know what? I, this one definitely, I've seen it the most. So definitely yeah. there's a future past. I know everybody has X Two on their list. I've only seen it once, and if I tell you at least one scene that I remember from the movie, I don't even know if I can remember a scene of that movie. So definitely not that one.
0: You know (laughs) what? The Nightcrawler one tends to be what people sticks out to people. The opening. Yeah,
1: yeah, I can. Okay, yeah, that's true. You know what? I like First Class. Yeah, I think it's quite dark. Especially with Magneto's, um, upbringing and, and his background story, certainly something I did not expect from a superhero movie. And I think that's what I appreciate about these X-Men, um, movies that they yeah. go out there. Uh, and I, if you would have told me they were gonna show me a, a, a Holocaust, like reiteration of, a, of, of, The Magneto's story, I would be like, really? Why would he do that? But obviously, enhances his person, his character as as who he is, and you understand now where all this anger (laughs) that he has comes from. So, yeah, I I would say first class, Days of Future Past, and X Men films. Um, I don't know what else.
0: How do you? How do you? Only because you mentioned the first. It's two predecessors. How do you feel about X Men Apocalypse? Just curious because it is the (laughs) sequel to this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the sequel. You know what? I don't hate it as much either. As as much as other
0: people, I don't
1: hate it.
0: (laughs) I feel like I feel like because there's so many X Men movies, I feel like everybody sort of has an X Men movie that you're like, hey, this get off its back. It tried, you know, like that they mildly stand up for. I feel like for me, that's X Men Apocalypse because, like, is it great? No, does it serve as a, as a as a an decent enough ending to the these two? I think so. I yeah. think it was kind of you know. I think it, it's been a while since I've watched it. and I'm gonna obviously watch it for this podcast. Right. Uh, rewatch it. Uh, I don't know. I I like that it was trying something different and again. And it's and that movie's set in the '80s, and it feels almost like sort of like an '80s like creature feature, like you know, uh, I don't know. It, it, with, the, with the practical effect of Oscar Isaac, which by the way, weird casting to have Oscar Isaac and cover him and all that stuff, but whatever. He also hated the makeup. Speaking of the makeup uh, mm-hmm. and the actors that are like, never, never again. I'm not doing that.
1: Yeah. Which makes Jeez. sense, right? Well, he would do yeah. instead.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no. I I recommend going back and checking out X2 again. Okay. Maybe you might you might, rec- you might uh, appreciate that one. And then also to you what you're saying with the the op- the uh Magneto's concentration camp sort of mm-hmm. flashback, that's how the original film opens. That was Brian Singer's film that brought that in. And then First Class, you know, restaged it and expanded on it. And it's, mm. it's just kind of building off of what you were saying earlier of yeah, Brian Singer, the man—not necessarily supportive—but Brian Singer, the director of X-Men movies, mm, he's made some good ones.
1: Yeah,
0: he just—he just seems to really gel with the, the, the what these characters stand for.
1: Right, right. I mean, unpopular, um, unpopular opinion here, but I'm a big fan of Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, which, oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. I know a lot of people aren't. I get it. I had a blast with that film uh, when it first came out. I was, I would, I I, I watched it in the movie several times. Like double digit kind of times, but we'll leave it at that. Yeah. But okay, so X two, you know what? Because like I said, I the everything else I've only seen it once. I don't think nothing has stuck with me as much. I do. I actually don't remember being like upset or heavily disappointed or hating any of the films after seeing them. Yeah. So, so I don't think it's that bad of a franchise. Yeah. There's some are stronger than others. I get that part, but yeah, like you were saying with apocalypse, I I didn't hate it. I don't remember hating it. Uh, I understand the criticisms for it. I just, don't hate it. Um yeah. I'm not saying as a masterpiece either. I feel like that I
0: feel like that whole sentiment is like a preview for what the next episode of this podcast is going to be. My guests and I are just going to be like, "Eh, I don't know. It's kind of fun."
1: Long well, guys. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, you you know, you got to stick up for these these movies sometimes, I guess.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, so I know. So, I think I think First Class and Days of Future Past are, are excellent picks. I think they're Cause I, uh, for me, it's, I have X2 up, up in there. Okay. And for me, it's like, I have it down to a top four. And for me, it's X2, the two you mentioned and Logan. Those are the ones I have in there.
1: Yeah. And I think,
0: yeah, those are, those are to me are the pinnacle of what this franchise can be. So I would, I would recommend revisiting maybe even the first two X-Men because they say tie together so well. Mm -hmm. And then last stand is retconned out of existence. So you don't have to worry about that, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> but, but Rosa this has been a blast thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh can you tell people where they can find you on social media
1: oh no thank you so much for for inviting me uh yeah I had also had a blast yes you can find me over on Twitter Instagram and Letterbox at Rosas Reviews
0: excellent we'll definitely get you either on this show or uh or our sister show close watch again soon it's been far too long since we talked
1: I know. It's been a while. Damn.
0: <laughs> Time goes <is laughs> by. It's almost 10 years since this movie, so, you know, uh, it's it's crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it does fly very quickly.
0: Big thanks to film critic Rosa Para for coming on to discuss 2014's X-Men Days of Future Past. What are your thoughts on X-Men Days of Future Past? Do you agree with rosa and i and, and essentially is this is this the best one it might be uh there's an argument to be made for sure i think we kind of touched on that a bit let me know your thoughts you can find me on twitter slash x at crooked table same handle on instagram and via email at robert at crooked com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. We'll be back next episode as the stakes get even bigger, air quotes, uh, question mark, with 2016's X-Men Apocalypse. Until then, catch you the next stop, everyone.